Welcome to the 11 Dubcast, reporting from the frozen wilds of Columbus, Ohio. I have uh, bunkered down in, in my uh, in my dwelling, and I've barricaded against any kind of like dire wolves or polar bears that decide to try to get into my house. How are you dealing with the um, white death, Andy? I'm, I'm going to risk... If we're going to get like an inch of snow, it's going to be so... An, I'm so pissed. <laughs> I wanted like a foot, and it's not going to happen. I was going to say, I'm going to tempt fate by saying this, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking... I was told we were going to have like eight to 10 inches Stupid. Uh, in, in, in so far, not so much. I mean, we've at the time you and I are taping, we've probably had an inch and a half or so. Most of which was kind of sleety. Yeah. Uh, like not ice. quite snow. Yeah. 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 It's kind of crunchy under your boots when you're out of the backyard. So yeah, it's fine. I, I've got to imagine where... Jake Gyllenhaal and the day after tomorrow. That's me right now. I'm what? burning books in the New York public library. So wolves don't eat me. That was an interesting film. Yeah. The, uh, the, I was reading an article in the dispatch, um, Monday where they were talking about, you know, preparations for the white death and the, they interviewed a guy that, uh, runs one of the ACE hardware stores in town. I don't remember which part of town it was in, but it was going through the list of like, we ran out of salt on this day and we ran out of shovels on this day and we sold out of snow blowers on this day. And then we're, nice. then we were out of sleds on this day. You know, it was like for the last week, people have apparently been stocking up on rock salt and snubble, shovels and snow blowers. And I laughed. My mother uh, was telling me she had been out. She apparently this last sometime over the past year bought a snow blower and she's now doing like eight driveways in her neighborhood, you know? Like, Hell yeah. Glad that you retired so that you could plow out the neighborhood, mom. <laughs> you know, but I feel because I've never, as someone who's never owned a snowblower, yeah, myself, same here. Yeah, I, I would, I, I would like to. I think that's one of those things where if you own it, you take pleasure in using it because, like, I do not own a power washer, a pressure washer, but I've used them many times, and it's like the coolest thing in the history of the universe. And I, I wish that was my profession because it's cool as hell. Um. So I, if I had one, I would definitely take advantage of it and use it as often as possible. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. You know, help yeah. your neighbors, that sort of thing. That's that's yeah. what being a neighbor is all about. Good stuff. That's true. Although I, you know, I've got, I have some very proactive neighbors. First of all, our driveway is gravel. So it's, you know, we're not doing hard, about hard that. to snowblower. Yeah. Hard, hard to snowblow, hard to shovel. Uh, but our neighbors are very proactive about theirs. And I, you know, hats off to them, but I'm like, eh, <laughs> that's that's a job for somebody else on another day. That's a, that's, that's, that's a problem for future Johnny. I got, I got a um, kick the other day out a friend of the program, DJ Burns, uh, shaming neighbors on, on twitter.com for not shoveling out their snow. The last time the, uh, the sleep yeah. dropped, I kind of got a kick out of that. I'm, yeah, like, that I'm not, would, that I'm would not be, going uh, that far. <laughs> that would definitely be, uh, a, uh, a backhanded burn on, on old Johnny Ginner, I think. <laughs> um, so <laughs> Let's let's talk a, a little bit about actual Ohio State sports. Ohio State men's basketball continues to roll. They're they're staying steady, right in the polls at number four. Great, that's fine. I'm I'm cool with that. But I just liked the fact that they come back after beating. You know, they beat Maryland, right? And they it's kind of a pedestrian win. They didn't seem kind of on their game. They come back. They have an opportunity to take care of a team that's not super great. Um, and a big 10 schedule where they really don't get a ton of those types of games. And they just put their heel down on the face of the Indiana Hoosiers and win by about 20. That was a fun game. I, how much of that did you watch Andy? Cause I really, really enjoyed this game a lot. They seemed like, even though it got a little bit close at certain points, Ohio state seemed to be in control throughout. 
It was a yeah. fun game to watch. It, it, and, and you said it right there. So we watched, we watched a good bit of the game. Um, we didn't watch it all straight through start to finish. You're doing some other things around the house, but watched, uh, watch most of it. And, you know, they did the Hoosiers climbed back, I think to within six there earlier, early in the second half, if I recall. And, and I was like, gosh, I mm-hmm. hope they don't let this thing slip away. And then, yeah, they stepped on the gas hard and it was not, I'm not even sure it was as close as the score indicated. Uh, and man, what a thing of beauty, right? To see the, the Buckeyes against the, what, what used to be for most of my young life, the class of the big 10, uh, yeah. you know, I grew up when it was like, gosh, you could, I, in fact, I was listening to the uh, radio broadcast part of the time. Um, and they were talking about that, you know, like how rare it was for Ohio state teams of a certain era to beat Indiana. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this so big, big time win uh, here, not just because of the score. It was such a, it was a bloody beat down, but also because Ohio State, you know, they're coming, they're coming into this stretch of the schedule where they're going to have some of their toughest games and they don't <laughs> look to me like they're showing any signs of slowing down. Yeah. Well, and we can get into that in a second. It's kind of wild with the last, you know, four games of that, uh, of, of this particular schedule looks like but you know i what i liked about this game is that everybody seemed to be on their game i mean justin arns didn't have an awesome shooting night that's fine but everybody else it it just seemed incredibly efficient right it did not seem like a a game of streaks where you're like okay well high state you know they just got to score 15 in a row here and they're going to be in control It, it just felt incredibly efficient everybody kind of got the ball it was spread around really well um, you know, EJ Liddell got his points that you would usually expect, but I really liked how Justin Suing played again, utterly efficient, great on the boards. That was the other thing. Ohio state did such a good job rebounding and, and challenging everything. Um, it was just, it was, it was good to watch. The other thing that I would point out, and this is something, you know, that maybe Ohio state opponents in the future are going to look at and go, okay, well, you know, sure. Ohio state can put up points because they stop anybody. Ohio state played pretty well defensively too. I, I thought they did a good job of containing Indiana. Again, Indiana isn't a great team. They're not terrible. They're not bad. Um, you know, I, I think on the bubble of possibly being a March Madness team, but uh, Ohio State did pretty darn well holding them to, uh, to 59 points. And, you know, again, those are positive things that you want to see, especially going into this really ridiculously tough stretch to finish out the season. That defense that you talked about, I, I think is really interesting because I've been watching the team climb up and, and maybe climb isn't doing it justice, but in the Ken Palm ratings, mm-hmm. they've been pretty consistent uh, on the offensive side. They've the last several weeks that we've uh, recorded, they've been at around number four in the adjusted offensive ratings, you know, number seven overall in the latest Ken Palm, not bad. Um, but that defensive rating, they've really been climbing up. There was one point a few yeah. weeks ago, you and I talked about it and I looked and they were down in the 100s um, or, or close to it. If they weren't actually over the 100 mark, they were somewhere in that 80 to 100 range. And they've climbed all the way back up into I think like 59th, uh, which, you know, if you're the number four offensive team in the country and you're, you know, getting up in the top half, you know, top, I shouldn't say top half, top 50 you know, of the, of the defensive ratings, that's a pretty efficient ball club. Right. So that, and right. we still come back to, okay, Gonzaga and Baylor are kind of in a class under themselves where they're, you know, uh, Gonzaga is number two, offensive, number five, uh, defense, Baylor, three offense, four defense. We could talk about Michigan 
seven offense, seven defense, you know, pretty balanced sure. teams. So that that's going to be the challenge for Ohio state when it gets to the final four uh, is, is that they're going to have to find that balance. And they really did that well in that Indiana games that they were pretty locked down defense. And as you noted, they weren't just doing on the offensive side, they weren't just doing it from downtown. I mean, they only took 16 you know, shots from three. Uh, they hit f- almost 44% of them, which is pretty great after shooting almost uh, 50% from the field in general, 48%. So they were hitting their shots. They were, again, I think one of the things I like about this team offensively is that they're, they're making smart shots. They're not just throwing at the ocean and seeing if it hits. Right. But the defense was a big one this time limited turnovers relative to relatively speaking far mm-hmm. better rebounding team than Indiana was particularly um, uh, defensive rebounds. And you just get, as we've talked probably three weeks in a row now, a lot of production out of pretty much the whole bench, which, you know, is going to make for uh, a team that people are going to have a hard time getting out of the tournament. Well, so let's, let's talk about that real quick before we kind of get into the upcoming schedule. Do you think this is as has been projected right now, a number one seat? I mean, you heard what I said a minute ago, right? Like that uh, is going to going to bode well for them when they hit the final four. You know? Yeah, that, yeah, that, right, that, right. That, 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 I, I they can do that. They can do that as a number two seed. They, they, they could. Number three seed. They, they could. Uh, I I do. I absolutely think that the one seed will will hold. I, now, granted, it's you know they've got. Well, let me ask you. Here let me be will... more specific. Let me be more specific. Do you think they deserve a number one seed as of this moment? Do you yes. think they're one of the top four teams in the country? Okay, a- absolutely. And, and I mean, I go back to their their record resume. You know, however you want to look at it. Look at the number of quadrant one teams they've beat. You know, sure. whatever metric you want to use. I think they've they've beaten more quadrant one teams than anybody in the country. They've beaten more you know, ranked in the top 25 teams than anybody in the country. I mean, when you go through those resume points, it's, it's been a pretty impressive schedule and, and it's not like they're squeaking out these victories now in the big 10, which everybody seems to, to agree is now I'll give the big 12 credit. They're pretty good conference this year too. Um, But, but big 10 basketball has been for a few years now considered to be the class of the sport And, and Ohio state's just, you know, playing pretty great basketball, Again, we go back to that Iowa game. We go back to the Wisconsin game. These are teams that people really respect, and and Ohio State's playing fantastic basketball against them. As long as they don't run into Purdue in the tournament, they're going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's what's hilarious about it, right? Like Purdue, just you know, they they seem like they've got Ohio State's number. Um, I don't know how I feel about it yet. I, I'm I'm I, I think if you were going to ask me the same question that I just asked you, which is like just as of this moment, right? Like if we're looking exactly at the resume as it is now, not projecting the future, I would agree. I think they absolutely deserve a number one seed based on the resume, based on who they've beaten. Um, but that's what's so hard about that for me because it's so hard not to look at the upcoming games and go, I really have to see what they do against Michigan iowa illinois like those games are so important for determining not just like seeding but also the big 10 in general right i mean this is this is it this is the cream of the crop um they're lucky of course that they get these teams at home right which i don't know how much of an impact that makes right now with (laughs) how things are done but you know i'm it's it's better not to travel than to have to travel you know they still get mission, you know, they're playing Michigan state, which is an absolute, you know, just dumpster fire right now. Right. Um, Izzo just lost. I forget, he lost a 32. Who was it? Who did he just get skunked by 32? I will, I will reference the schedule. Cause they just got annihilated. It was bad. Yeah, it was bad. So they lost to, 
Well, they just lost to Purdue. Oh no, that was earlier in the season. Sorry. Oh yeah, that was Iowa. Yeah, they lost. Yeah. By, so lost Iowa by just annihilated at home. At home. At right? home. <laughs> yeah. So that's you would hope that Ohio State pulls that one out. I look. I think if Ohio State, you know, you want to beat Michigan, but I don't think that's necessarily prerequisite. If you get if you get Iowa and Illinois, then you're, I believe, I think you've got to be a solid first, uh, first, uh, number one seed. I, I think that's it. I think if you take two of those three teams and you've got to get Michigan state too, then you're definitely number one seed. If not, I, I think it's possible that Iowa or Illinois squeaks by them and, and gets that number one seed instead of them, which honestly, if you look at the projected, uh, <laughs> seedings that they had the first one that came out like i don't i do not like the bracket that they had put ohio state in so that might yeah. even be a saving grace a little bit but i i really do believe that you got to beat those last two teams to solidify your hold on that number one seat um because otherwise i think they'll slip in and get it yeah Which i is, think there was you know, i think there was a lot of consternation when people saw that bracket come out and said that was not right. a favorable <laughs> no that was not a favorable scenario for ohio state just in general like it was the toughest of of the four which you know to some extent you think well as that comes with being that number four overall seed or whatnot but sure they uh yeah and, and so I, I hear what you were saying a moment ago about kind of hedging here that i want to see how they do against these these last you know five games coming down the stretch especially when you've got michigan iowa and illinois and, and three of those five you okay you're not super worried about penn state or michigan state uh, michigan state just beat penn state oddly enough um, but I, I look and say, well, they've beaten two of those three teams already. Right. So sure. I, like, I know they can beat Iowa and Illinois and they did both of those things on the road. So I feel pretty good about their chance. No, those weren't like 20 point victories though. Those were dog fights. Yep. Uh, but I, I, I have confidence that they can win those games. You know, we don't know about Michigan, right? Cause they've, they haven't played uh, them yet this season. Glad they're getting them at home because it sure looks like Howard's got that squad ready to roll, even coming back from their, their COVID related shutdown. They look um, really good. Yeah. They look really good. So that, that to me will be, and that's, you know, when you're seeing Michigan and Ohio state playing as three and four in the country in basketball, how how cool is that, by the way? You know. Oh, it's wild. I, I mean, it, the the fact that the Big Ten just in general is such an incredibly good and deep um, basketball conference. It it, it just and feels it like it's something that we ignore every year, right? Until football's over, and then we're like, oh crap, this is really, 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 really good and really, really, really fun to watch. And it, it's kind of sad that it takes us this long to kind of acknowledge that. Honestly, I'm, I'm I feel a little bit sad about that sometimes because you know, these are teams that really should be getting the spotlight, I think earlier than they do. And then when they, you know, when the tournament comes around and big 10 usually does fairly well, quits itself fairly well in the tournament. Um, they can't seem to get over the hump, right? Big 10 yeah. team hasn't won the NCAA tournament a long time. And it's just, it, it's, you know, they get in the tournament, they do pretty well. You'll have maybe four or five teams in the sweet 16 or lead eight or whatever, and then they don't win, and everybody's like, all right, time for spring football. And then you stop thinking about it. And it's just yeah. it's sad because this is still, in my opinion, the best college basketball conference in the country. And it, we just, you know, we treat it as a sideshow. And then when they don't ultimately deliver, it's like, yep, see, and then move on. And that just mm -hmm. kind of sucks. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I want to see, I want to see a Big Ten team. I don't want to see Michigan win it because that would be super right, irritating. Right. 
anyone other than them will be fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but seriously, like in most cases, I'm pretty cool with Michigan doing well and being successful. Like, cause I, I don't care as long as Ohio state's beating them in this case, I do not want Michigan. If they lose in the first round, I'll be happy. That's fine. Anybody else can win it. You know, Iowa can go ahead and do it. Illinois can go ahead and do it. Whoever else, you know, if <laughs> I don't know if uh, what, like I, Indiana, right. Sneaks in. <laughs> and decides to go on a tear and win the national like i'm even fine with that like that would be stupid and annoying but i'm fine with that it would not be as bad as michigan winning you, you know um, i learned something during this dub cast that i didn't know and i don't know what? if other other listeners are aware of this what is that ohio state was in the final game of the inaugural ncaa tournament did you I know feel that like i did know that yeah i think i, I did I know, know that, that actually they, they lost to oregon yeah no i didn't know that. to 33 i had no idea yeah yeah, that's huh. wild because, uh, of course, Ohio State, I think, has won, what, one? 1960. Yeah, yeah, with uh, Jerry Fred Lucas. T- yeah, Jerry, Jerry Lucas. And, yeah, I mean, what a great squad that was, right? So Yes, and <laughs> what's wild about that is, of course, I think they went to three straight NCAA championships, won the one, and then lost two of them, uh, both the Cincinnati and uh, – yeah, that's 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 it's crazy how that that kind of works out. Cincinnati not uh, not doing as hot this year. Yeah, Fred Fred Taylor. I mean, you know, I uh, I just look back. You know, that was before my time, obviously, but they really did some incredible things during his tenure. So if you look at that 1959 to 69 team, of course, you had uh, three future Hall of Famers: Jerry Lucas, John Havlicek, and and one Bobby Knight. Who, oh yeah, John John Havlicek. I mean, that's. Uh, yeah one of the greatest pretty of all huge time, right too, yeah like and i mean you could and you can make an argument who was the better who was the better player who was the more accomplished player between lucas and havlicek because you look oh. at their careers i mean both were sensational both ended up having tremendous nba careers i yeah. part of me want to give lucas the edge because the gold medal um havlicek was like an alternate i think on that olympic team mm-hmm. but havlicek was what like eight eight rings you know something like yeah, that. yeah i think havlicek i would put him as having the better pro career yeah league. well yeah yeah because i mean eight rings like yeah you know, but four overall, of them in his first four seasons but yeah it's that 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 team was just i mean that team was just crazy yeah that, how, it was how, how loaded they were and and you're right i mean they had a, they had their chances um to come back and do it you know again and and, and they got close but never never got back to the mountaintop because it's you know it's hard to do it's, right it's, it's extremely hard to do and it's been a minute and that's the other thing I mean people don't I mean because expectations are so high in football and because the top tier of football has such a stranglehold on not just you know winning championships but you know even having access to winning championships that it's easy to forget how incredibly difficult it is to win an NCAA tournament and like you know, Tom, here's here's the thing. This is a stat that I always thought was interesting because I got an, I was getting an argument on Twitter about this. Uh, Tom Izzo has more Final Fours since uh, I think early two thousand, like two thousand two thousand one. He has more Final Fours than Coach K does than than Mike Krzyzewski does. Um, obviously, he doesn't have as many championships. He's only got the one. But like that's what's crazy about it. He's gone to I think something like seven or eight Final Fours mm-hmm. since then. And he has the one championship. And it's not like Tom Izzo has had bad teams or can't coach. He's one of the greatest coaches in the history of the game. It's just, it's that damn hard to do it. Um, You know, you look at even some of these crazy blue bloods, you're like, wow, I I would have figured they would have way more championships. Like, no, it's it's really, there's like two teams that get to have a lot, you know, and multiple championships and all this stuff in relatively short period of time. 
And then you're just kind of rotating different teams. It's interesting. Yeah. And that's what we love about it. That's what's so crazy about it. I just hope I want the roulette wheel to finally land in Ohio State at some point, especially given that I was a, uh, a an undergrad. I was a senior in 2006-2007 when um, yeah, the last where Ohio time. State loses a championship game in football to Florida and a championship game in basketball to Florida. God, that was such a hard year. Freaking awful. Pits. It was the pits. Oh I, my god! I, I hated Urban Meyer uh, so much. Uh, that that year I, I blamed him for basketball too I had no real reason to but I was just like he started it it was all downhill from there and so so Ohio State's been in that title game five times um, in in history and, and one yep. just one uh, lost in 39 to Oregon there's two that you mentioned to Cincinnati in 61 and 62 and mm-hmm. then the aforementioned loss to Billy Donovan's Gators in in 07 it's I mean it's really tough to get there right so the last six 61 62 that was oscar robertson right when he was with cincinnati yeah, is that? yeah the big o yeah, so there you go i mean you're losing to one of the goats i mean i and i i put him as one of the top five basketball players of all time i, I freaking love oscar robertson so so the last time the big 10 won and this was this was pre them being in the big 10 yeah uh, 2002 maryland under gary williams familiar oh, geez. uh before so 2000 michigan so they weren't in the big 10 then i'm, I'm being tongue-in-cheek right so that was pre big Ten. so 2000 michigan state tournament tom Izzo. that's crazy that's 20, it's 20 so crazy it's two decades since they've won a tournament now been in the game so michigan lost in 18 under beeline what was the score of that game i forget that game was 79 62 villanova okay okay um that was, so okay. before that i mean the so the closest they came, speaking of Coach K, was in 2015, Coach K's most recent title. Uh, they beat Bo Ryan's Wisconsin Badgers, 68-63. Okay. Michigan with B-line again in 2013. Rick Pitino's Louisville team beats them 82-76. Okay. And then Tournament Tom was uh, was in in 09 with Michigan State lost to, speaking of another Tobacco Road Blue Blood, Roy mm-hmm. Williams in North Carolina. 8972 so not a particularly close affair there yeah so you know in the so they've been in the game a half dozen times or so in the past 20 years and it's a little more than that so indiana's been in once illinois has been in once high state's been in once michigan state twice counting the one they won they got to get over the hump they got to go i i feel like this might be the twice i mean I know, I know people are looking at Baylor and Gonzaga as just these, you know, preeminent teams that nobody can, can ball with, but anything can happen in, in uh, March madness. Yeah. And that's, God, I missed it so freaking much last year, really, because it is honestly, it's up there with like the world cup and, you know, the Olympics and things like that is my all time favorite sporting event. Um, Cause it's just so much fun, especially in those first few days, it's just complete insanity. It's, it's the experience and part of the challenge this year is going to be, we're going to have it, but we're, you know, you, you probably shouldn't go and, right. and, and spend all your time at B-dubs or your favorite watering hole or whatnot and, and, and watch the tournament, right? You should probably, uh, unless you've, you've gotten your vaccine, you should probably stay home and be responsible or. Well, and logistically the tournament's ones, not going to be, you know, very, it's not going to be the same thing either. It's going to be right. a lot different. So you know, the, the city of Indianapolis is going to be basketball central for about a month. Right. Uh, which they, they love. I mean, Indiana's what the biggest basketball state in the known universe. So that, that's, that's, you, that part's by the way, fitting. 
let me ask you this. How do you feel about that? Cause I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I'm a little sad because I like the idea of, of these like men, you know, each region all around the country and there's craziness happening wherever. And, you know, of course you've got like, I like that Dayton always has a game and everything like that. But I also kind of like the idea that you've got just this one insane city that's hosting all of this. That seems pretty fun to me too. Yeah. And I think that, that, that there's, there would be, that would be an experience to go have and, and very few people are going to get to have it, of course, but right. that, that would be wild to go and just be there with all those. Um, when, when I was in college, I dated a girl who was a huge basketball fan and she and her dad went to one of the regionals. Um, I think when it was in Lexington, so they went down to Rupp arena and watched, you know, how many ever games, um, were there, I guess two, two games would have been when Ohio state was playing in, in Lexington. So whatever year that was, um and they that might have been 06 07 now that i say that uh and they, it was a fantastic experience they said except <laughs> it was funny um her dad you know was like trying to avoid picking up some of the fans from the other teams i think memphis might have been in that regional and they were particular memphis memphis or louisville i can't remember which but it's like their fans were the most obnoxious fans <laughs> ever you know Maybe which i'm louisville. sure like every every fan base right you know <laughs> has sure that continues. Not Ohio State, though. Ohio State fans, no, yeah. classiest, <laughs> coolest fans on the planet. Yeah, nobody's ever wanted to throw those people out of C deck, you know. So, um, but yeah, they talked about that. Like, it's pretty cool to go and watch that many different games, you know, in person, different teams, and, and kind of back to back to back like that. And yeah, it was uh, so to have it all in one space, it's like Super Bowl, man. Yeah, it's not too bad. By the way, I'll, I want to transition to something else here real quick, but I will say uh, this is something that has stuck in my craw for many years. Uh, before 11 Warriors had a beat writer, uh, you know, we, what we do is we kind of rotate a lot of the editors and the guys and writers who had been on staff for a while to do some of these major events. And um, it came up that I was the only one available to do Big Ten tournament, uh, like I was able to do it that weekend. But unlike a lot of the other things, we had to like apply for credentials, right? Because we had to say like, okay, this is the guy that we're sending and whatnot. Right. The Big Ten rejected Johnny Ginter. They looked at what I had done. They looked at my body of work and said, nah, this dude ain't it. And they said no. And this was like pre press pass. Pre-threat level and everything. Right? How dare they? <laughs> Disgusting. I was out there busting my hump, doing skull sessions, making fart jokes, and they didn't think that that was, I don't know, official enough or like good enough to be a representative um, for the uh, the Big Ten uh, championship, the Big Ten tournament. I was very upset, and I refused. They begged me to come back. They said, "No, Johnny, we made a mistake. We were we were so wrong. We were so stupid." <laughs> We read, we read threat level. We read all your lists about the best things in each state. And we're like, we were clearly made a mistake. And I said, no, no guys, you blew it. I could have put you on the map, but no, now, now you'll just have to fade into irrelevance because you didn't have me there. So that's your fault. <laughs> um, anyway, so Those that's, bastards. that's on them and that's fine. I'm not bitter. I'm not sad. I just want them to know. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit before we uh, got on air. We started recording, but I want to ask you this. You brought up a good point. All right. So coach Cal Parry, Cal's making around nine mil down in Kentucky. Kentucky's not having a great season. They're on the struggle bus a little bit. Do you worry personally about uh, one Chris Holtman deciding to maybe play for the home or to coach for the hometown team at some point, seeing as he is from outside of Lexington? I mean, you just said it like the reason I would worry would be, you know, 9.27 million reasons. That's a lot of money. 
when 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 you I wasn't have, on board with your logic until you brought up the, the income disparity. That's yeah, so much money. It's you know, and that's Hopefully one of the, the things. Next three, by the way, when you look at the at the Tobacco Road Blue Bloods uh, plus plus UK, I mean, so we, this is one of the things I've always struggled with Ohio State. If you go back to even when when we were in the latter years of the Thad Mata tenure, I, I was one who was ready to move on probably a couple seasons before we did, because sure. I was ready to see the Buckeyes be competitive again. And, and I'm one of those irrational fans who thinks with Ohio State's brand, prestige, facilities, and, and money, and an alumni base, that we can be competitive at anything we choose to be competitive at. Like, that's the only, the only question is, do we want to be competitive at this? If you look at football, obviously, we're a football school. Okay, if you look at basketball, we were just talking about some basketball history. Okay, uh, a wrestling program, the, the beat I cover, right? So Ohio State has, has come become accustomed to being one of the top two or three teams in the country in, in wrestling. So you go down through any of these programs, look at the women's basketball team right now, they're doing fantastic this season. So mm -hmm. if we choose to put our resources behind something, we can be successful at that. And we have the resources to be competitive at more things than just about anybody in the business. So that I start from that sort of irrational, you know, uh, pay place as a fan. And, and so I was sitting here saying, I, I get why we're sort of hanging on out of loyalty to coach Mata because he's the, the best to ever do it here. Um, and, and, and I'm willing to, you know, to, to be okay with that to a point, but I want us to be competitive again. And so then obviously we, you know, made the decision as a university to move on. And, and, uh, the question on everybody's mind was, would, would Chris Holtman get us back to being competitive? I, look at where we are now, you know, we're a top four team in the country. I I'm, I'm here ready to see this team into the final four. Uh, as, as you noted, that's a hard thing to do. Maybe yeah. I'll be disappointed, but I've got a lot of belief in where Holtman has the program going right now. So what, what would concern me with all that as context is that number one thing people would say to me when I was talking about, Hey, it's time to think about who the next guy is was, well, well, who are we going to get? We're not Duke or Carolina or Kansas or Kentucky or even Michigan state, you know? So you start looking and say, where are the best jobs in basketball and you naturally think of the carolina schools and mm -hmm. you naturally think of kentucky maybe you think of indiana or maybe you did think of indiana prior to you know the last what 15 years they've been wandering around in the wilderness uh so if kentucky is one of those best jobs in the sport and in you're a head coach uh of a top tier team like ohio state and you grew up in the shadow of rep arena and you have a chance to go make 9 million instead of 3 million. Is that intriguing to you? You know, so to me, like that would be something I would be concerned about if Calipari gets on the hot seat. I don't know if he is or not. I don't know enough about like how crazy the UK uh, donor class is. Like if they're ready to push a guy out, that's taken them to the final four, four times and, and brought them a national title. Like it's been, a, it's been a while. 2015 was the last final four they were in. So, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I, I Googled Calipari hot seat and there are a few articles, nothing that I think <laughs> is like super, you know, nothing that looks like super crazy, but Kentucky's pretty stinky this year. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I'm of two minds on this because I, I think you make a really strong point at the beginning, which is that um, I think Ohio state has to choose 
to a certain extent. You know, they're, they're a football school, but if you have a – okay, so let's say Ohio State goes out and wins the national title this year. You can't keep paying Chris Holtman $3 million a year, right? But you're not going to pay him $9 million, are you? Like, is that what you're going to do? You're going to drop that much money to keep him at Ohio State? I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you're going to try to extend him. You're going to give him another contract. I don't know what that looks like. I also know what it looks like in comparison to Ryan Day, who just got you to a national championship game, right? Because if anything, he's being severely underpaid compared to you know his peers and what we think he's capable of as a coach. Um, I I am just fascinated by this because Ohio State, in so many ways, you know, we talk about it in football with coaching attrition at the lower levels, but they just seem to be a, a, you know, a victim of their own success sometimes because, I mean, these are good problems to have, right? Like, oh, darn, we got, we're too good. We're getting to too many national titles and we're winning too many championships. But it is a unique situation where a lot of these schools don't have the same kind of identity crisis, right? Like Alabama's good this year. Are they going to be good next year? Probably not, right? Like, are they going to be good for like three or four years in the future? I don't think so. There aren't a whole lot of schools that have to figure out how they're going to allocate their resources like this, particularly after COVID and after losing a lot of revenue. And it's just, it's fascinating to me. I don't think he's going to jump ship anytime soon, but I also think that Ohio state needs to try to lock this dude down as long as they can quickly, because he's going to get a lot of overtures at the end of this year to do a lot of different things and he may want to try the Brad Stevens route. He might want to look for one of the blue bloods. I don't know. Um, it's just, it's, it's fascinating to me because, you know, honestly, a couple of seasons ago, I don't think people were super high on Holtman either. And they, they're kind of like, okay, well, we're just going to be this Malaysia kind of, you know, Thad Mata type team, you know, late stage Thad Mata. And then of course now he's turned it around and he's, he's got a roster that reflects what he wants, but it took a while to get there. And that requires investment. I think so, we I think we took for granted like how much work he had to do to build the roster he wanted. Yeah, and, and that's fair. See, that's a very fair point. That's a yeah, very it, fair point. and it was and part of it was because that you know those recruiting classes that came in early. I mean that one recruiting class in particular where literally everyone left. Right. You know that's a that's a tough pill to swallow, and you say it looks bad. And now you look in and you look at every guy on that bench on this squad wants to be there playing ball. Oh yeah, they're all in. I, I, like this is one of the funnest teams to watch since when? Like when was the last time Ohio so, State had a roster that was this fun to watch every single night? Yeah, it's been since like the Aaron Craft, Diebler, yeah. Sully. It's, like, been, it's a been a hot minute. A hot minute. <laughs> so so I I think we really underestimated the work he had to do. And the other part of it is he set his own bar pretty high, right? Coming in yeah. year number one and winning 25 games with the roster he had. So, yeah, so that was well, a big, and I think here's the other thing. I think he also had some players that could cover up some of the, you know, overall personnel deficiencies. I mean, you had yeah. K-W-C up going in and being basically national player of the year. Well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that covers up maybe the fact that you don't have a full roster of, of you know, full complement of players that can do what you want them to do. Um, and then you overachieve a little bit in the tournament, right? Like that's people expect them to kind of bow out or not be a great tournament team. And they win a couple games and look good. And so and, I, I see. And, and he's saying. developed this thing, you know, it's kind of the opposite of the one and done philosophy where, you know, you're, you're going to get guys who are going to be here for a few years, but who are going to be solid contributors for a few years. So, yeah. so, you know, what you got, and he's proven to be kind of a wizard at this picking up people off the transfer wire thing. You know, that's become a bigger part of, of not not just basketball obviously look at football look at what what the football team's done with some some uh rental players for a year or two you know so 
that that part of the puzzle where you were getting a guy, uh, you know, Seth Towns is an example where you, you know what the guy's all about because you've been able to see what he's done for the two or three years he's been at another school. And then you bring him in and you know where he fits into your roster. That, right. That's, that's an important piece of this. So like the roster construction piece and the theory then would be that he can now do that kind of, you know, repeatably moving forward year after year, cause you're a proven commodity and the recruiting gets even easier when you're rolling off final four appearances or you're you're being a number four team in the country and being one of the top five offensive teams in the country you know people want to go play that style of ball right so the and we come back we talked about this a few episodes ago this modern game of basketball and and how it's played at the highest levels that that's what this team sort of aspires to be right with the the addition of consistent three-point shooting to the to the game and it's not you know your super traditional college basketball i i've really enjoyed that development and evolution of it so i i think holtman uh has a good thing going here the other thing i think that maybe keeps him here uh, as opposed to running off to the next big opportunity that will come his way because you think he's going to get his opportunities sure is look at the look at the support that he's he's gotten from and 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 not just i'm i'm not just talking about like gene smith although obviously people seem to love working for gene smith and he's universally regarded as as one of, if not the best athletic director in the business, but look at things that they do. Like what, this is sort of what I call like the fun stuff that comes with the basketball program. Look at the, the alternate uniform game, right? They've rolled out these uh, sweet script uniforms this season. And they, they seem By to the way, fun. Sorry to interrupt. How did you feel about those uniforms against Indiana? Were you, were you a fan? Oh yeah. Oh, those were sweet. I think the, the, Scar were sick. the Scarlet versions were my favorite kit of the season. So this quickly became Great. my second favorite, you know, they were, they were absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and, and, and the way they roll those out, the, the, the videos they, they put along with them that helps with recruiting too. You, you yep. know, it does. Uh, we've talked about it in football for years. So you put all those pieces of the puzzle together um, I just think, you know, okay, if I'm a basketball coach and I'm making 3 million, I'm, I, I'm probably pretty confident I can get three and a half or four now with the next job that comes along. Maybe I don't need 9 million if I'm not having to go into a total rebuild and, right. you know, I have all of this support and infrastructure and things that are around me. Now, if you offer me 9 million, yeah, I'm probably hard. I'd really have to think about that, right? <laughs> You're going to triple my salary. I'd really have to think about that for a minute. Yeah. And I don't know what the point of diminishing returns is for, an obscenely wealthy football or basketball coach. Like if you're making 5 million and somebody offers you seven, do you go to Tennessee because they offered you seven when you could stay at wherever it happens to be, you know, like, do you go to some place that you just know it's going to be, God, this is going to be a slog and, and worry about being on the hot seat yourself in three years. Do you make it, is the difference in whatever you're making now enough to take the risk? I, I don't know. Yeah, I've never well, been offered nine million dollars, so I, I can't speak from personal can't speak experience. From experience. On this yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's and to be fair, let's 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 be let's be very clear about that. Not everybody, just because you're a hot shot basketball coach, you are not going to be making nine million dollars a year, right? Like that's just not going to happen. That that is a an extreme rarity, and you know, Kentucky backed up the brink truck because they, you know they wanted to win, right? They're like, this is, we have to win now. We have to make sure that this is like going to happen. And we don't have any doubt that we're going to continue to maintain hegemony and we're going to be great and blah, blah, blah. But like, it's, it's a weird, 
let me put it this way it's a weird group of people at the top of ncaa basketball salaries right you've got calipari and chichesky nobody's surprised about mick cronin is making five five a year somehow i mean i yes he was good at cincinnati i think it's insane that ucla paid him that much uh you know rick barnes at tennessee is making like over four mil it's 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 odd because it feels like if you're ohio state and then you have a really successful um chris holtman tenure yes you can start paying him more uh i'm just surprised that you know, a guy like Roy, Roy Williams, who's had an incredible career. Bill Self, who's had an unbelievable career at Kansas. They're, you know, they're making around $4 million, not that much more. It's it's really just the top two guys. It's Calipari and Jajewski who are just dominating. I don't, I don't, maybe it's, maybe it's not so much that Ohio State has to worry about offering Holtman that level, but just that they have to make sure that they're compensating him to the point where like, okay, Mick Cronin isn't ducking on him. <laughs> In his next contract, you know what I mean? Yeah, like he's got. Yeah. And by the way, Mick Cronin's not dunking on anybody because he's five foot two. So I just, yeah. But the point that I'm making is, is that I just think they have to keep the dude happy. And as you said, you've got the institutional support. You've got a really great system set up. Um, you've got a good roster. Obviously, the guys are all kind of bought in. Um, young dudes are fun. You're going to get some guys back. I don't think everybody's going to bounce next season. I think a lot of people will, but I think you'll you'll still have a good core on your team. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think they've things have set up to keep Holman for a while, so that should be fun to watch. And I'm just excited. Like I said, I'm just really nervous and excited to see how these last four or five games play out. Obviously, you got Penn State too. I don't want to. I don't want to discount that game. They can come up and bite Ohio State in the ass. I don't know, but. Um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun end of the season. And I'm just glad March Madness is back as I missed it immeasurably last year. And obviously we had no idea what else we would be missing um, at that point. But uh, I want to say one other thing about Chris Holton before we turn the page on, on the sure. basketball segment of the program. And, and I thought uh, my man, David had a great piece on Valentine's day on the site after the Indiana game, taking a look at, Chris Holtman versus Archie Miller. Cause if you go back to 2017 people in uh, our comment sections and, and throughout Ohio state fandom were pretty salty that Ohio state didn't move on from Thad Mata a few months quicker to snatch up Archie Miller, who was at that time, you know, a pretty highly regarded up and coming coach at the university of Dayton mm-hmm. had been on staff at the Ohio state university as an assistant for a few years. Yep seemed like it would be the logical heir apparent to Thad Mata at that time for those reasons. And, and people were pretty salty. I think a lot of them, uh, you know, looked at maybe Indiana got the better end of the bargain getting coach Miller and Ohio state getting Chris Holtman. And, and I really love this piece when you put the, the head to head winning percentage, Chris Holtman, 683 to Miller's 559 big 10 winning percentage. Even even more favorable for Holman at six eleven versus Miller's four fifty one, head to head between the two teams. Ohio State is six and one versus Indiana during <laughs> the Miller Holtman tenure, and of course the Buckeyes have been to two NCAA tournament appearances, and the uh, Hoosiers have not been uh, to the tournament at all during Archie Miller's tenure at Indiana. Now I I don't want to take too big a dump on Archie Miller because I don't think he's a terrible coach, but. I think it's pretty unequivocal that uh, Ohio state got the better end of that bargain 
and are very happy. And, and I think a lot of credit to Gene Smith for once again, hiring a pretty good coach. He's got this track record of hiring head coaches down pretty, pretty pat. Yeah, um, he seems to know what he's doing in that effort. He, he's pretty darn good at that stuff. Yeah. Pretty, um, pretty incredible. So, so hats off there. And, and uh, when you look at it under the lights to a directly comparable hire in the big 10 at that point, I state did okay. We'll say this real quick. This is what I was, I was just looking through some, uh, some schedules here. Uh, one team to beat Iowa. Maybe this is a team that Ohio state can emulate one team that's beaten Iowa twice this season is uh, of course the Indiana Hoosiers. Who said, <laughs> I, I don't to, want to take a dump on Miller. Cause I think he's a pretty good coach. I know he went, they went to Iowa city. They beat him by uh, 12 and then that home, they beat him by two. So oh, that's so good. So there you go. That's what I'm saying. Big 10 basketball, man. It's, it's, it's freaking great. I love it. I don't know who does the graphic, but they put it out the other night. You know, they, they basically the, the wheel of the transitive property, right. Where you've just got all oh, right. Every big 10 team has every big team has been beat the next beaten the next right. one. It just That's goes great. around the whole loop. I love it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a pretty great season and I think it's going to end just super chaotically and hilariously. Uh, I also want to say, so let's, moving on from basketball a little bit just before we get into ask us anything um there was a really great uh story by zach carpenter our very own zach carpenter that went on the site on valentine's day about travion henderson and his his mother um and it's it's really worth watching i i can't i'm not going to recount all of it but basically talking about how she kind of kept him and his family on the straight and narrow Trayvon Henderson is a 4.0 GPA. I mean, he's, he's an excellent student doing incredible things. Um, and she has obviously been a huge, huge um, part of that. And, and it's, it's a really cool story to watch or to read. If you haven't done so already, I really recommend people check it out. It's awesome. yeah, a great piece. And, and it's one of the things I love about the site is that it brings that kind of reporting, you know, Zach, uh, Colin, uh, Dan Hope can't say enough about the the beat guys and the work they do. It's really fantastic. And this piece about uh, Travion was really great. And you saw it um, making the rounds on social media. Like uh, Travion and and uh, people from his. I saw several tweets. People from his community back home talking about you know how hard um, you know it hit that uh, you know that you're able to get out of of bad situations. Really love the profile of his mom. Um, yeah. And I got to say, you know, Ohio State's had some really great parents um, in, in the community over the, mm -hmm. the past 10 or 15 years. Social media has let us get to know, quote unquote, get to know more of the parents. <laughs> There's yeah. some really interesting characters in the parent community. That's true. It seems like there are really some really wonderful people. And, and I think, you know, when you Urban Meyer talked about, and obviously Ryan Day's done as well, they try to try to recruit uh, young men of character into the program. And, and yeah. you see that come through from a lot of the parents in the community that, okay, I can see why, that kid turned out to be, um, well, regardless of their circumstances, kids with, with great character and yeah, you, you love to see it. It's a great piece. I'm glad, glad Zach did it. Um, because you learn more about a kid than just their stats on the field. Absolutely. So yeah, shout out to Travion and of course, shout out to his mother, Lakeisha Hayes Winfield, uh, for doing such an awesome job and shout out to uh, JT Barrett's dad for spilling barbecue all over me, um, uh, at a dubcast a couple years ago. So righteous. <laughs> <laughs> that is something that i can honestly say has never happened to me so yeah you, you know got one up on you me. know what 
it, it's it's okay because he was very nice about it. It was an accident, and he was very apologetic. He's a great guy, so it's he was cool. So that'd be JT um, Barrett the the third. I guess, yeah, I guess it would be. It would be JT Barrett the third, uh, Joe Thomas Barrett the third. Um, so that's uh that's that's kind of the main part. But we're gonna force get to ask us anything. And before we do that, we want to remind you that the Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at elevenwarriors.com. Drygoods.elevenwarriors.com. Shirts, hats, stickers, all kinds of great stuff. Check it out. Ask us anything. You can ask us anything by sending us questions to Dubcast at elevenwarriors.com com this first question comes from matt in minneapolis who wants to know is tom brady's success bad for michigan football and i your your gut reaction might say no matt no but he's got he's, he's getting to something so he says brady is the ultimate example of what the alumni base considers the quote michigan man he's at the <laughs> pinnacle of personal and professional success and reinforces the idea that a degree from the team up north is the or the school up north i guess is the only way to get to that point uh and he goes on to say that like you know ohio state's a little more malleable with that we'll we'll take winners wherever you come from michigan seems to feel that they can only win with quote-unquote michigan men so he says as in the case in corporate life only promoting from within can lead to leadership being stale what do you think andy i think one of the things i i wondered when i was listening to the question and the rationale is how closely do people outside of the Michigan fan base even identify Tom Brady with Michigan? Yeah, like, I had the same thought. Yeah. I, I'm not, not sure. Very you know, often. It's it's not that I look at him and just think, oh, that's Mr. Michigan, right? That you know, sure. I just I don't know. Like and and again, I I have a hard time when I think about professional football players, um, aside from ones who who have joined the ranks like in the last five or 10 years when I've been more, I guess, more interested in just recruiting in general. And so you, you kind of follow some of these players throughout their career, uh, really, especially just since I've been involved with 11 warriors and more, more paying attention to the broader range of college and professional football than just say my team. Um, I don't know if you, if you'd said to me a random NFL player, if I could have told you where they went to college, you know, more than maybe a 50, 50 chance. Like I knew a lot, you know, you, you, you know, but there's, there's certain players that you think of like intimately related with their school. And a lot of times it's quarterbacks. Okay. You maybe yeah. think of quarterbacks or you think about somebody who's maybe a Heisman trophy winner or something along those lines. But, you know, I, I don't know how closely the average person really links a given player to the school they came from. Um, and with, with Brady, you know, like, I don't know that he's, is he that big a representative of the school? It's not like he's just all Michigan the time. Teams. Yeah, that's what I, but that's what I mean. Like outside the fan base though, is he just like yeah. constantly beating his chest? You no. know, Michigan, like, I don't get that vibe from him at all. I don't think so either. I, I think the, the larger part point Matt is making here, I, I think it makes sense to a certain extent. I, I think the larger problem that Michigan has had, I mean, you, know, you can look at Tom or uh, Tom Brady, you can look at Brady Hoke, as an example similar of a, similar yes yeah, very very similar people easily confused on the street as you walk by them you really i mean twins really um but you know you could look at brady Hoke and say okay this is an example of a quote-unquote michigan man who did not work out right in that position he had all the pedigree right you know he's from michigan blah blah, blah michigan fans entire life um you know he had nominal success at san diego state comes to michigan and over his head doesn't do very well 
that's fine. I think the larger issue, though, that Michigan has more than trying to stay adherent to this idea of a Michigan man is they're just bad at recruiting talent. They, they, we talk all the time about how great Gene Smith is about identifying really good coaching. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they have somebody in that position who can identify really good coaching. I think that's their biggest issue. It's not, it's not that they're looking for the perfect Michigan man. It's that they're looking for the perfect fit for Michigan that happens to coincide with the Michigan man, the, the Harbaugh's or the hoax. Um, but I think there are probably Michigan men out there who know how to coach a little and they just don't, they, they don't either find them or they don't know how to get them in the program, or maybe they're still like kind of relatively low level or something like that. But, you know, it's not that I think Michigan is looking at guys and saying, okay, this is a really good coach, but he's not a Michigan man. So let's not hire them. I just don't think they're good at identifying talent period. And so even if they found a great coach that they wanted to go after, I don't know that they would be able to, I don't know. They suss them out more than any other team or quicker than any other team, which is something that Ohio state's been able to do, you know, with Ryan day, for example, identify a guy who's clearly a really strong young coaching talent and lock that dude down. Um, so I don't. I think that's their biggest issue. They're just having a bad time identifying talent. They've they've had that issue for a long time. And you know when you've got a guy like Lloyd Carr and and Shim Beckler and all those other guys, Moeller sticking around for a while, it makes it hard to kind of get in that mindset. And they've just failed the past three or four times they've tried. Well, and then the other part of it too that goes with identifying talent is. One of my first bosses in radio said, you know, there, he had two things that he would always tell us about talent. Uh, one is that there's, he would use a, a climbing metaphor. There, there's always room on the rope for another good climber. Uh, so, so, you know, in other words, if, if you find somebody that you really want on your team, figure out how to get them on the team, you know, because, because yeah. there's always room on the team for somebody who's, who's talented. Uh, who, who could make a difference. But the other thing that he always said was, you know, it's not about having, uh, it's not only about having the right people on the bus, but it's about having the right people in the right seats on the bus. So, you know, there's a culture aspect to this. There's a, there's a fit. I look at Rich Rodriguez, you know, when they brought Rich Rod in, if you looked at him at West Virginia, you, you probably could have been forgiven for thinking that was going to be a really fantastic hire because he was a talented coach. Look at the, look at, you know, look at what he did in Morgantown. You know, it was, it, it was a good program that he put together down there. And then mm-hmm. you, you know, you go to Ann Arbor and it's, and it's a tire fire. That was as much a cultural fit thing as it was that rich rod wasn't as good as people thought he was right. right. Like there, there was a huge Mitch mismatch in, in culture and the kind of team and program that rich rod wanted to run and what, Michigan wanted him to run like those yeah. things were not compatible. So that's, you know, there's two sides of that. And then and now you look at the situation where they're in, where you have uh, potentially fantastic young coaching talent, like, mm, I don't know, Al Washington saying, I, I want to get out of here because <laughs> it's a great place to be. Uh, you know, so I think the longer they go in this situation that they're in now, uh, and you document it really well in the threat level every single week. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I don't know how they come back from it um, with, with any kind of speed because you're, you're going to have to rebuild some of that. Once you do finally find, figure out how to identify good coaching talent and, and that it will fit in the Michigan culture. 
Yeah, and, and honestly, here's the other thing. I mean, people rag on Harbaugh, and, and justifiably so, and for Michigan for extending him, which is also stupid. But, you know, Harbaugh was considered to be a slam dunk hire, right? That was – Yeah, they were, absolutely. People universally thought that was the smartest possible Michigan's thing Michigan's back. Done. Yeah, it was a genius move. They brought him in. Oh, my God, this is going to be great. NFL was too hard on old Harbaugh, and he's a little quirky, but he's really great at, you know, getting quarterbacks to play the best, blah, blah, blah. And obviously that hasn't fully panned out. I don't think Harbaugh is a terrible coach. I've never said he's like an awful coach. He's just aggressively mediocre. And that's the problem because there, to me, <laughs> when you're trying to identify talent, right, there's this, you're okay. You've got these really great elite coaches that are evident for everyone to see. And then it gets a little bit more difficult to determine who's good and who's not because a lot of that can be a mirage for a couple of years, right? You might have a really great recruiting class that helps you sustain some things for a little bit. And then you've got to make adjustments and fill in spots. And that's when I think coaching kind of reveals itself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like Mark Elfrich over at, at Oregon was considered to be the heir apparent. Like, hey, this guy's going to come in. Oregon's going to keep rolling. He's going to keep doing all the stuff that, you know, Chip Kelly and all of them were doing. No, no, <laughs> they ran out of players and he didn't know how to do deal with that. And that's, that's, that's where that talent evaluation comes in, understanding how to bring in somebody who can adjust to that and, and deal with that. Ryan Day seems to be that kind of guy, in part because every year he's been able to adjust his personnel, at least offensively, to make them great. It's, it's wild. Like He's not going to rely on the same things every year. It's, it's, he's going to change. Yep. And that's, that's why I think he's a great coach. Um, Michigan just has not been able to find somebody like that yet. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, Next question here. This is from a good friend, Alvin, who, yes, Alvin, you did in fact mi- mi- uh, miss the cutoff last week. I believe you sent, yeah, you sent in your question about three hours after we finished recording. I apologize. Um, for those who are listening, we record these on Monday nights around 7.30 ish. So just keep that in mind. Um, Alvin wants to know, is crypto the currency of the future? What oh, extreme Jesus. futuristic slash technological predictions do you have? Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> By the way, Elon Musk just dumped in like a billion dollars or a billion and a half or some insane amount on uh, Bitcoin, I think. Um, I, I, you know, I, I know some people, I know some people got into Bitcoin like 2008, 2009, they bought a bunch. Then they lost their <laughs> wallet password. <laughs> So they have no idea how to access the hundreds of thousands of dollars they could potentially have. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Andy? Is that is it the currency of the future? So there's an econ columnist that that I really like to follow. So so my this is not a humble brag or anything, but but I, <laughs> I did did my graduate studies in in agricultural economics. Um, so I read a lot of a lot of farmers using Bitcoin. I assume. That's well. The- there you, you might be surprised i don't know there uh so i read a lot of economists not just agricultural economists but i'm i'm kind of an econ nerd i enjoy this so there's a, a bloomberg um econ columnist that i follow named noah smith and uh, a really good twitter mm-hmm. follower if you're into into it's, it, it's not super political but the econ kind of monetary policy and all that sort of thing and he had a nice piece about this here over the weekend or or a few days before about cryptocurrency and is bitcoin a bubble uh, because of all the money you mentioned, uh, Elon Musk and all this stuff that's pouring into it. And he makes a pretty compelling argument. And I will say I'm not in crypto at all. So I, I this is not coming from a place of, of personal interest. But he, he makes a pretty compelling argument that 
that, that it's not a bubble um, and that as an asset, crypto, um, not just Bitcoin, but, but Bitcoin and, and whatever others might, might make it, um, have some interesting usages beyond as an actual currency. So there, there are benefits to Bitcoin other than just paying for stuff, right? Sure. Um, and I don't know how many people that are into Bitcoin are, are, are using it versus an invest, for an investment, quote unquote, versus uh, I want to do offshore gambling and Bitcoin is the way that I get my money into um, whatever offshore gaming site it happens to be, you know? So th- th- that's, that's part of the equation as well. I will say that the whole crypto thing kind of confounds me, um, confuses me. I'm not really sure what it is I'm supposed to be doing aside from throwing money at it. Uh, so maybe that just means hmm. I am old and technology is passing me by at this stage. I hope that's not it, but maybe I've been trying to figure it out for a while. Um, in my industry, agriculture, where I work in my day job, the uh, for the last probably five years, at every conference there was pre-COVID when we had conferences still, at every conference there was, there was some session on how blockchain was going to revolutionize the industry. Oh, sure, yeah. And, and and I'm sure you probably saw it in, in your industry as well. I just, but yep. I really struggled to understand <laughs> how in practicality any of those things was going to happen and why it was somehow better than what we were doing already. Um, I know people were really excited about it, but it just, and, and here we are, like say five years later, and I don't know that I've seen any real meaningful like blockchain facilitated revolutions right. in agriculture and food production. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a great or in idea. General, I would say. Yeah. Or in general. Right. Other than that it facilitates Bitcoin or whatever other yeah. cryptocurrencies. Right. And I, I think, I don't think cryptocurrencies are going to go anywhere anytime soon. I, I think the amount of money that's into them, especially Bitcoin and the amount of money that people perceive that they can get from investing in it, um, if that's, you know, if that's a commodity that people think that they can gain money from there, that's going to you know perpetuate itself. Here's what I think. I actually had this thought a couple of days ago. One of the biggest obstacles for Bitcoin in general, and I, I say this as a total layman, just, you know, I'm making observations. I'm not an expert in this at all. This is what I think. Um, obviously Bitcoin has its stumbling blocks in terms of how it's being used, right? Like, and the fact that it is, you know, untraceable and trackable, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's a problem, right? Especially for governments who really rely on that to be able to, you know, prosecute crime and to like basically keep track of monetary policy and things like that. You have to be able to track things and to understand how the supply is going with your own fiat currency. Cause if you don't do that, then you're in a lot of trouble in terms of like international trade and all that kind of stuff that, that, that causes a lot of issues. Um, so I don't think you're going to see a lot of governments, for example, endorsing a cryptocurrency, um, at least in a large scale manner, because it, it really takes away from their ability to do things the way they've been doing it. And you could argue whether that's a good or a bad thing. But I just I see cryptocurrency as a threat to the traditional economic policies that countries usually set forth. And I, I think that's intentional. I think that's, that's probably why they're doing it. Um, I know that Facebook wanted to have like kind of, you know, dabble in their own little cryptocurrency that they wanted to start off here um, at some point. I think they were trying to do it this winter and then maybe that got pushed back. I don't know. But to me, I see that as a challenge to um, the governments that 
control the the fiat currency that's currently going on and that's part of why i don't see cryptocurrency ever becoming like a significant challenger to it because they'll tamp down on it if it becomes too unwieldy and too difficult or if it ends up challenging you know the, the normal currency like u.s legal tender it's a big deal in the world economy there's a reason why the u.s dollar means so much um internationally so i just i don't know that they would want to challenge that the other thing i would say and this is just super often in la la land and it's not going to be a problem forever but the computing power that it takes to try to mine cryptocurrency to, mm-hmm. especially bitcoin mm-hmm. is enormous the amount of power and and computational like energy used to do this is really a drain on resources and i don't mm-hmm. like I don't mean that in a sarcastic, facetious way. You really know it's literally up. a drain on resources, yeah, right? It's, it's ridiculous how much energy and power it takes to do this stuff. And that to me is almost a, a moral reasoning why not to use cryptocurrency because it, it is damaging, literally damaging to the environment. I know that sounds silly and weird, but it's, it's, it's a real thing. It's crazy. I mean, this this is a headline published five days ago by the BBC, and I quote: "Bitcoin consumes more electricity than Argentina." Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a. I mean, again, yes, is is that obviously a one to one thing? No, right? Like, it's there's there's obviously going to be caveats to that, but it's still to me a factor, and it means something, and I think people need to maybe be aware of that. Yeah, if they want to get into that, so that's. That's my answer. Um, a lot of obstacles, a lot of stumbling blocks. Chief among it is that, you know, most of the time it's just used to buy weed online. So <laughs> in addition to everything wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's ask us anything for this week. Keep sending those in great questions. Really appreciate them. And uh, we'll definitely answer some next week and next week. Of course, we're going to, I mean, we're getting into it. So it'll be a fun dub cast. I'm excited to see how this basketball team continues to evolve and, if we can get maybe a better uh, viewpoint or lockdown on what this March Madness bracket is going to look like. So until then, I'm Johnny. I'm Andy. And we'll see you then.